we're, so uh, we're doing Isaiah 44. Oh, because, Isaiah Because we did 43, 42 and 43 last time. Okay. So Israel the Chosen is how it starts. But now listen, O Jacob, my servant. Israel whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant. Jerusalem, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow like poplar trees by flowing streams. One will say, I belong to the Lord. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand the Lord's and will take the name Israel. So that's, that's just a beautiful encouragement for generations to come. And, and, just a declaration that God has not forgotten and will not forget and has not abandoned and has not rejected and, and that these are Jacob's descendants. You know, yeah. so many times the last couple of weeks I've ended up in these discussions where people are trying to argue, no, the church is Israel now. The church is Israel now. And I'm like, no, Israel is Israel now and the church is privileged to be part of Israel. Yeah. And, and there's just this no, it's about us. It's about us. It's about us. And I'm like, no, it's not. What? What about God screams, let's all be selfish and say it's about us? And, and you know, we are privileged. And this is why Paul talked about it's a privilege to be grafted in. You know, even when he says, yes, there were, there were branches of Israel that were cut off, you know, branches of Jacob that were cut off for you to be grafted in. It's like, but don't don't hate those branches because they're they're not gone. They're just laying there waiting to be grafted back in, and they're going to take root and be stronger. So this is what the Lord says: Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first, and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come, or, yeah, what is yet to come. Yes, let him foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. All who make idols are nothing. And the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ign ignorant to their own shame. What, uh, who shapes a god and casts an idol, which can profit him nothing? He and his kind will he put to shame. Craftsmen are nothing but men. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and infamy. The blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in his, in his coals. 
He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water. My eyes. Ugh. Just a little bit. I don't know if it'll help because it's kind of the size too. That helps a little. Thank you. And grows faint. <laughs> You're just going in a big circle. What did you do? It's, just, it's doing a strobe thing. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm good. The shoot that that was better. Thank you. It was good till it wasn't. Then it was again. <laughs> no. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in the form of man, of man in all his glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cut down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. It is man's fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and breaks bread. But he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. You can see with all the detail that is being put into what the person is doing, how, how trivial the, the making of the idol and the worshiping of the idol is. You know, he takes some of the wood and he sets a fire and then he makes a god out of part of it. Breaks some bread, you know, roasted over the coals, and then worships the other chunk of, of, of wood. The man grew it, or, you know, maybe he just planted it and left it, and it just grew. It's nothing. It's nothing eternal. It is nothing of substance. So, he also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I see the fire. From the rest, he makes a god his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Save me, you are my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see, and their minds close, minds close so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, Half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, Is not this thing in my right hand a lie? <coughs> Remember these things, O Jacob, for you are my servant, O Israel. I have made you. You are my servant. O Israel, I will not forget you. Wait. Okay. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. And I want to I point out the order in which that happened. <coughs> Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Not return to me so I can redeem you. I have redeemed you. Return. 
Sing for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, O earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forests and all your trees. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited. Of the towns of Judah, they shall be built. And of their ruins, I will restore them. Who says to the watery deep, be dry, and I will dry up your streams. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, let its foundations be laid. So God is very clear. He's the one going to do it. He's the one who has the authority to, the power to, the ability to. Stop worshiping the other half of the hunk of wood that you didn't burn your food over. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And yet, to me, I think one of the biggest things in there is the, he has redeemed you, return. You know, he has saved us. It's why we we go to him. He we love him because he loved us first. Mm-hmm. You're already forgiven. You're already right. restored. Right. He's already, um, you know. So now you need to put water in and seeing the brokenness of yourself. Well, and see yourself as he sees you and tell your heart to be Well, and, and a really big important thing is the good news isn't if you do all these things, God will save you. The good news is God has saved you. Right. Now you can do all these things. <laughs> That's good news. You know, the other is kind of a threat. It's, it's the potential of salvation. You know, if you if you do all these things exactly right, then God will save you. Possibly. Maybe. maybe unless you unless you annoy Possibly him. Possibly maybe. Unless you annoy unless him. Um but you know, but but pretty we're pretty sure. Yeah. Pretty sure. As opposed to God has saved you. He has acted in time and in eternity to save you. This is great news. Now you can live the life that he created you to live. If you think about it, I'm going to move the light back on. I don't know why you turned it off. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, why are you trying to turn the light off? Because she had a consumer. But you know what I want to say is for people who, you know, worship the sun, the the moon, and the stars, they they all obey him. He created them. So if you just do the research, you know, well, I'm worshiping the sun, but where did it come from? And yet, and God, God knows their heart. I think it's really important also to remember that in these passages, he's talking to Jacob. He's talking to the Israelites yes. who know better. Right. He expects different from the people who don't know better. Right. 
If you don't know better and this is all you know, he has great compassion for you. And that's, that's where the events of what Yeshua did become so important and relevant because it was to take this out to everyone outside of Israel. And so, so the, um, you know, if you're raised in a, in a pagan family or in a pagan nation, and this is how you're taught to worship, but your heart is looking for God, he knows. Right. And, and I think most hearts are, I mean, that's, that's how we are. We're crying out for the creator. And... You know, so so God holds us accountable for what we understand, which is why He is sometimes very hard on Israel because they're supposed to understand more. Right. They've had Torah all this time; they know. Right. So, where are we on? We're in Exodus they, now. Where they fall down the most is is somehow they get disconnected. They don't carry it from generation to generation. Oh, we're like down if, we, if we carry... Well, with that, study yeah. in Torah. Oh. Like, oh, Why? That was short. But we're going to... Because we're going to do the Torah portion. Oh. And then go back to Isaiah? Well, no, because we did the whole chapter in Isaiah. Oh. We're not done with Isaiah. Just for yeah, this week, we, we did this. I know, but it was short. It wasn't that short. <laughs> you have been in a room with Chris. Look at chapter 44. I know, 44. you part of it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> chapter 44 <laughs> is... How many verses? Um, Wow, I thought it was more than that. It says 28. Maybe it wasn't that long. It's 28 verses, huh? Exodus what? No, no, we didn't say Exodus. Well, yeah, because we're in Exodus now. For the Torah portion. For the Torah portion, Mom. Oh. That's why she's like, wait, we're done? Where have I been? That's what I'm saying. Okay. I thought we still do it, Isaiah. That's what she was asking. Weren't you on the tail end of discussing what we just read? Yeah. Well, I just, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah I just summed it up. up. Yeah. I was just adding to what. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you, you well, anyway, it. I'm turning to Exodus. Exodus chapter what? Uh, one, one through one, right? five. Is it one through five or one through yeah, six? Yeah, so, right. so do you want to sum it up? Do you want to give it's a little summary and then you can ask the questions that you have? Exodus oh, chapter okay. one. Yeah, because it's it's one. Shemos, Parshal Shemos. Yeah. Apparently, my segue there was not very well executed. That was. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, let's keep reading that. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter one, verse one. Yeah. Okay, so this is a long Torah portion. Yeah, I know, huh? It is. That's why I had to leave more time for the Torah portion. Oh, gosh, you gotcha. That's a good thing. <laughs> So anyway, it just kind of goes through the, the uh, um, I want to say, uh, the 12, you know, giving the names again, the, I guess kind of like a genealogy of, yeah. the, of the 12 tribes. And then... Because um, it takes it, you from, from the, the actual brothers right. down to who we have now uh -huh. at the start of Exodus, right? Or is it... Oh, no, no, it, it has. It said these are the names of the sons of Israel. Oh, coming That's to so Egypt it, with Jacob. Right. Okay. Yeah, and then they said that what they had like seventy, I think. Yeah. Know? So you see that number because 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're going to multiply. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like crazy. So, uh, they just tell you, you know, Joseph's dead, you know, and all that. Right, all kind of summing up Genesis. His father, so they kind of sum up that. And then they uh, talk about now we're in Egypt, and that Pharaoh has died, the one who is all in favor right. of Joseph. And so now we have a new uh, Pharaoh or king, and, and he knows nothing about Joseph. Isn't that something? Yeah. Did they not write that in the history? Don't the kings? Well, and, and I think though it all it says who did not know of Joseph, mm-hmm. um, but it also mm-hmm. let me see where the verse is because I oh. I read this before. Uh, right here, uh, he said he it's on uh, uh, eight verse eight. Now there arose a new king. Look at verse eight. Yeah, it says. But I think that it also. Um, I think that it's not, the Pharaoh came to force who did not know Egypt. Either it was literally a new king um, or new policies that ignored him. That it may not be that they didn't, like, they, it might not be that they didn't know the story. Okay. So much as, like, like, when, like when Yeshua says, I didn't, like when God says, I didn't know you. Right. You know, and so it's that, that intimacy, I, he, they, he didn't partner right. with him. He wasn't. He, he didn't accept and embrace the things that were from that time of Joseph. Right, right. But you can work with somebody that doesn't really know And it's right. like, it's like, how can you yeah. minimize that he saved your nation? Because God, through God, God given him the power, the wisdom well, because, to do this, that he saved the whole Because if they were angry, if they were angry about the fact that the gods, if, if, if they thought that the gods would be angry because they had been set aside for that time. Or, or they were, I mean, it's, your culture is such an intimate part of who you are. And if you're offended that it's been cast aside because of that outsider. Yeah. And then, you know, you have the chance to bring it all back and set aside those things from the outsider. And it may be, you know, you can you can give credit for rescuing us at that time. Right. But that doesn't mean that you have embraced some new way of living. Oh, okay. Do you know so what I mean? I'm not adapting to your culture, your right. beliefs. Right. But thank you for saving us. Yeah, right. thank you for what you did. Like, thanks. You know, I kind of looked at it this way. Like, I, I wasn't here physically on this earth when Pearl Harbor happened. I wasn't here. Well, I was here when um, Hitler was trying to annihilate the Jews. Mm-hmm. But the people who actually saw that, who was present, who heard news right. every day, they know the severity of all that better than I would. Right. I'm just looking at it in the history book and trying and, to grasp But a lot of them mind, even... They would remember... Because the reports, I, the reports of how many Jews were being slaughtered yeah, were like way back in the newspaper. And people looked at the numbers and thought, oh, that has to be a typo. It can't be that many. You see, that's the thing. They never did believe They're that. blind to it. Right. And then to, have, and then to have some news reporter go out on the streets of the world today and to have a response, uh, the Holocaust? No, I don't know what that is. Oh, is that a holiday? Yeah, it's not even it's taught in a strangle It's somebody. not even in a lot of history books anymore. Yeah, it's and just that not is even mentioned. That should never be swept over, right? Because we need to remember that, right? It's like my kids. I lived through the civil rights movement. 
I know firsthand how I felt and what that right. was about. Whereas my kids, oh, so they read it in the book, which is, it happened. And, which is why know. so often God says to his people, when your children ask, yeah. tell them. And that's why, like, with, with the beginning of this, and it goes through all the tribes again, the stories are told over and over and over and over to right. reinforce their importance and to, yeah. to get them into your head and to get them into your heart. and to So that even if they're just in your head, when that moment comes where you need them in your heart, it's there. You know, which is the teach them when you're sitting in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, telling them the stories. Right. You know, right. your grandfather's story. Let me tell you, you know, let me That's tell you the story I of your grandfather. Took them to the Martin Luther King marches. Mm -hmm. There's so much history there. Did you guys go this year? Yeah. I you know. I, I was going to call you. I just did not feel up to I was, uh, Bill was like, are we going to go? I said, I don't think I can. I really I want to. Yeah. I really I want to. You weren't feeling good. <laughs> See, I should have done that. You should have told me. Yeah, Thanks, Ty. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> so, you know, we can do things like that. You're funny. That's what I can do. Next year, Ty, because I, I, I thought I would just be, like, dragging everybody down or... No, no, and then we do in our family every February, since they gave us the shortest month of the year. We truly make it Black History Month yeah. for us. So we might play roots. We might mm -hmm. be queen. We discuss yeah. what happened and, you know, how God brought us out. He well, used how, people like Martin Luther yeah. King to bring us out. It was his power that released us, I feel like. When he well, said what, to what the we Egyptians, let my people go. I felt like he said through them. Let yeah, let's go. Don't do us that. Well, and we, I mean, we, we put the, had them watch the speech, you uh -huh. know, his whole speech and sat and, yeah. and, and we do, the way we do history is we watch, you know, we read through everything, but then we also, we watch movies and we do, yeah. so we're constantly doing stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And my kids come home from different things and they're like, how do, how do people not know what happened right. with such and such, you know, what? Or, or they'll say something in some context and people will look at them and they're like, you don't know. You, you, yeah. how, do you, how do you not know about right. such an important thing? I don't know right. that's real here. Because people are so willing know? to dispel history. Because they don't teach it. School doesn't really cover all the things. No. Public school. Or if they cover it, it's not adequate. The way they do it is just like, they just flow over certain things like it didn't even matter. Well, a lot of people think, oh, well, it's too sad. We don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because we need to not repeat it again. Right. And exactly. That's, that's the whole saying. You know, those who fail to study and learn from history are destined to repeat it. And that's why people get upset when, like, say, for instance, Trump. Mm -hmm. You don't put somebody in your cabinet who used right. to be close to the Ku Klux Klan, if not a member of it. Or who's shown known prejudice. Right. Yeah, of course we as black people are going to be a little nervous. Right, yeah. Forgive, forgive us for being right a little, with that. Forgive I'm us for being concerned. Really? No, no, I don't know. I'm going to be a cabinet. 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 I'm going to be that's right. <laughs> but it's but it is, it is it is definitely we have to 
we have to look and and not in a not in a fear mongering way, not in a oh this is just like such and yeah. such. But when things hearken to, we got to go. Let's keep our ears open. Let's keep our eyes open. Let's watch where the you know. Let's be cautious. Let's be ready to object. Let's be ready to step in. Let's be ready to intervene. Let's be ready to call out. And let's know that God is in control. God is in control. You yes. might not be in control. Right. But God is in and, control. And, and God is in control. And yet, we need to pray to Him. What's about to happen in Exodus happened. Yes. God was in control. Mm-hmm. And it still happened. Right. Right. And, and, It was the people crying out when God heard them cry out, and it was and it was time. Right. See, we might need to go through things. There might need to be things that. That's what I said too. We might. It might be something we need. It might be bad. Right. It might be something that we need to go through. That's why it's happening. Right. And out the way it's going out. And and we will know. A lot of things we'll know in retrospect. We'll we'll learn a lot. Okay. Hearing that squeak? What is that? Some bubbly noise. Yeah, yeah I heard it. No, no, it's the dishwasher on. Y'all no. listen to it. It sounds like it's over here. It's my uh, um, Things for the blinds. Oh, it's the car. No, I didn't. Car going off right oh. behind you. <laughs> you bump it. Sometimes that walker go off too. So. That, that's funny. Because I heard it. It was like squeak, 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 Yeah. I do have a friend in Soma. Alabama, mm-hmm. and he says, yesterday is the first day of resistance. We have to remember the 60s, and we have to relive the 60s, because this is my generation's 60s and 50s. He goes, he goes, I don't know, well, that's pretty intense. <laughs> I know. Right? My generation's well, 60s. Dang. Yeah, it is. Uh, but like well, Rabbi Crystal say, you know, God was in control, yeah. and this still yeah. happened. And, and, and what, still happened. when he sent Moses and Aaron, it got worse rather than better. Right. Because I and was, then the people were reading. like, Moses, shut up. Good <laughs> Lord, zip it. What are you doing? So yeah. we better remember that. It might yeah. be yes. worse. Yes. Because they, they, they they're like, did you? We now have to make it with no mud. What the heck? Come on. With, with the straw. Yeah, with, the, yeah, with only straw. But you know what? Cecil Bitten Mills got that wrong. I know. Because Hollywood he messes what it he up. told him was, go find your own straw. Right. It was, it was given to you before. Yeah. And now you're going to make it. you go harvest and it you're and you're going to go it. get the straw. Right. And you're going to make your quota. Right. You're not going to make one brick less. Right. So that's what made it so hard. I mean, geez, how are you going to do that? Well, and it is what it's ends up happening. It, what ends up happening is the people who were not required to work because they were older or younger. Yeah. You know, now they're out there working. Yeah. You know, as a people, you're having to meet your quota. Yeah. So you as a people end up subjecting your own people to greater mm-hmm. slavery. Right. And and so it's it's one of those things where I I appreciate that the story as it tells it to us doesn't spend any time whatsoever on, and if only at this point they'd have done this, or if they had said this at that time, or somebody could have done something to prevent it right here. Right. Because none of that matters. No. What happened, happened. Right. What people said, did, thought, resisted, 
embraced whatever was who they were and all, all they could do. There is no if somebody had just done something different. Nobody was going to do something different. They did what they did. And God knew that. And God knew it. Knew that they would say, make those bricks without the straw. Right. And that's when your faith really needs to kick in because, you know, you're thinking like, oh, gosh, it just got worse. Didn't this man just come and tell us that God's him to set him free? Right. What kind of freedom is this? People right. And you have that, yeah. yeah. And then, oh. And then, yeah. And then, yeah. oh. So yeah. we have oh. to take the good with the bad. And eventually you're like, just shut up, Moses. Yeah. Just shut up. I don't want to hear you. And imagine how Moses must have felt. Oh, I, well, because like, he told me to tell you. Well, that's what happened with, the, with the bush, you know, when the bush. And he's like, no, no, thank you. I don't want to go. Like I'd rather not. <laughs> Who am I? They're not going to believe me. I killed me. that guy. And, and they, come on, they, they don't know. They're not going to, they don't want to hear from me. You need a, you got the wrong dude. He got the wrong dude. I know that feeling. He got mad with Moses. He wasn't too happy with Moses with that. Well, I'll tell you, you know, when God that. when God told me that I was going to be a pastor, my response was, oh, no, thank you. <laughs> and, and God said, thank you, but no, thank yeah. you. Yeah, he says, you are going to be a pastor. And I, he says, I'm calling you to be a pastor. And I said, I said, well, thank you, but I'd rather not. And he said, well, why not? And I said, well, because I know how so many men feel about women pastors, and I really don't want to deal with that. I, I don't feel the need to go out and, and you know, fight that fight. And he said, well, it's my fight. And we went back and forth. I'll just say we went back and forth for quite a while. And it ended when he said, are you seriously going to argue with me like Moses? And I went... Well, no, clearly not when you put it that way. Okay, I guess I'll do it. Thank you. you know? <laughs> but I did add, but the fight is yours. I'm not going to fight it. I, I'm not up to it. I, 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 if I'm going to do that, I can't be fighting that fight. Yeah. And he has, he, was, he has been faithful, and I have not had to fight the fight. And, uh, and so it just, God calls people at the time when it's time and for the thing, and... I think this is a great it's a great encouragement that there that the Bible doesn't go in like I like part of me wants to know what can we do different to not end up in a place like this if you know in these situations and God's like no you're gonna end up where you're gonna end up there you go and then when it's time you'll do what I tell you to do and you'll have learned what you're gonna learn and I'll bring you out of it and the thing okay. about this too well um, meals they didn't the part about him, this also talks about Moses' birth and how his mom put him in the basket. Yes. And, uh, you know, uh, his sister kind of kept an eye on it and they, um, and, and, and how he was pulled out by, it was Pharaoh's daughter. I don't know what it was in the movie, but anyway. Um, well, there, there is the one of the, one of the traditions around uh, the daughter mm -hmm. is that she was, she was a grown woman mm -hmm. and a midwife. Mm -hmm. And that she may have been working with Pharaoh's daughter to try and help her conceive. <laughs> so when this opportunity came, she directed Moses to her, knowing that she would be. I know because uh, because uh, Moses' sister is like she's nobody always, blinked the eye that she was there. Right, she's telling Pharaoh's daughter, "I'll go get your nursemaid." Right, right, and she's always pictured like a little child. Yeah, but in the, in the, in the tradition, she's 
she was a midwife uh, and and already knew Pharaoh's daughter from that. That, that, that. Yeah, that she had had multiple miscarriages and she'd been trying to to have, to a, have baby a baby, and that her heart's the desire was a baby. Say she's a child, though. Right, it doesn't say she's a child. That's just always imposed on it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. I guess we say Moses' sister, and they knew Moses was a baby. From so me really reading thought, it, it looks like she was a young adult. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. But but anyway, yeah, like a, a teenager up. Yeah. Yeah. Unless mm-hmm. the thing about it is Moses knew that he was a Hebrew from start to finish. Right. That's right. the point I was getting to. Yeah. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So I don't know how, you know, the, ten, the movie, The Ten Commandments, they oh, wanted yeah. to do it, it that like way or they were ignorant to it. But Moses knew, Moses you know, knew. that he, he, he knew. And, and she said it when she took him out. She said, oh, this must be one of the Hebrew children. She knew what was going right, on. Right, because he was circumcised. She knew what, yeah. She saw. Yeah. <coughs> she knew the And that's why they say when Moses um, saw, you know, his one of his fellow Hebrew was being mistreated, you know, mm-hmm. he went ahead and he killed that guy, but it's it's against the law to kill Egyptians blood for blood, right? With right, them. right. If you kill one, then you need to be killed. And and Pharaoh was looking for him to right. kill him, right. and Moses fled. Yeah. So, he didn't, he wasn't going to spare Moses' life, even well, though I, Moses th- grew up in the palace. Right. And it, doesn't it say, him. though, doesn't it say that when that happens, he, um, that he was afraid that he would be Caught. Caught. Yes, but it he was afraid. But when yeah. the two Hebrew guys got into an argument, and Moses got in the middle, and said, "Well, who are you? Who gave you authority? Right. So what you gonna do? Kill us too?" He knew the thing. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He knew they because he was out. trying to hide it and go along with life like right. that. And then he was like, right. "Oh my gosh, the they was out after that." <laughs> yep, yep. Because they say he looked this way and he looked that way before he got the guy. So he wanted to kill him in secret, but he didn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because they knew he had did it. And then that's when he went to Midian. And then got married, had two uh-huh, sons, and then was called. Mm-hmm. And then he was... Um, he looked this way and that way before he killed him or after yeah. he killed him? No, before. no. It's, a, it's it, after it, he killed the yeah, guard. Says, okay, because I thought, I thought it was after, not before, because to look left and right before would be you're premeditating this. Okay, look. It said one day when Moshe was a grown man, he went out to visit his kids, kinsmen, kinsmen, and he watched them struggling at forced labor. He saw an Egyptian strike a Hebrew, one of his kinsmen. He looked this way and that, and when he saw that no one was around, he killed the Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. Okay. So he and did. It was, it was, I mean, it was, he was angry, but he was, was smart. Right. <laughs> thoughtful anger. And then this, then the Bible say. The next day is when he went, you know, in between those two Hebrew guys who argued, yeah. and they said that to him. That was the next day, so people quickly knew what he had done. Well, and Somebody I, it's crazy because it, it's like, you know, it's like, how does God see, you know, murder and premeditated murder and accidentally killing somebody or killing somebody out of, out of a fit of rage, so it's really not premeditated, and it's like, you know. Well, I love, I love how the, the Chumash reads all this, because it says, um, it happened in those days that Moses grew up and went out to his... I, I find that Stern actually makes the Old Testament sometimes harder to read. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't know. Yes, just, just, this yeah, yeah, well, because it's not a real translation. He kind of... Uh, he tried to go back to some of the Hebrew names for things yeah. and just made it... I, 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 I like his New Testament a lot. His Old Testament 
a lot of it's paraphrased and some of it's just adding the Hebrew back in, which makes it harder to understand. That's but, why I said I was going to ask you to yeah, yeah. parts of it that I was like, huh? Did they really mean it that way? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the Western, I find, so often they don't. Yeah. So so in the, in the Chumash, it reads, It happened in those days that Moses grew up and went out to his brethren and observed their burdens. And he uh-huh. saw an Egyptian man striking a Hebrew man of his brethren. Okay. He turned this way and that and saw that there was no man, so he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Okay, so okay. that's the same. So he went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. He said to the wicked one, why would you strike your fellow? So basically he saw, you know, the Egyptian and the Hebrew, and the Egyptian hit the Hebrew. Uh-huh. Now he's seen two Hebrews right. fighting, mm-hmm. one striking the other. Um, probably somebody put in charge over them. Right. Possibly filling in for the guy he killed the day before. That's, That's my thought. That's true. That's Why would you strike your fellow? He replied, who appointed you as a dignitary, a ruler, and a judge over us? Do you propose to murder me as you murdered the Egyptian? Mm-hmm. He called Mo- him out. Moses was frightened, and he thought, indeed, the matter is known. Pharaoh heard about this matter and sought to kill Moses. So Moses fled from before Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian. <coughs> he sat by a well. And it didn't say Pharaoh struggled with it or nothing. Pharaoh just was like, I'm seeking to kill you. That's right. right? You killed one of mine. You killed one of mine. I raised you in my place, but I will kill you. Yep. And the minister of Midian is... um, Yeah, the priest of Midian is uh, Jethro? Yeah, Jethro. So it says, Moses left Egypt at a relatively young age, according to the Midrash. He fled at the age of 20. That's yeah. Was. Now, keeping in mind that according to Torah, a young man's accountable for the things he does when he's twenty. He has to take his own sin offering, ah. starting at the age of twenty. So he wouldn't have been accountable for things up to that point, but now he is. Um, so and, you know what? So when he got called, say to the ministry, to God wanted him. His kids probably were grown then. They weren't yeah. as young as they portrayed him to be. He had because he, they say Jethro gave him his daughter to marry. I mean, it don't say yeah. the time frame, but I'm thinking it's shortly after. Well, it says Rambam conjectures that he was. Well, Rambam thinks he was 12. Now, if he was 12 when he left, then he wouldn't have even been accountable in God's. Why did he kill an okay. Egyptian at 12? It's 12 year olds who killed. Wow. He did not return <laughs> until he was 80. So his family's grandchildren was grown. Yeah, he returned when is he that was when eighty. He started his ministry at so that there is a gap yeah. of many years in the narrative. According to some, wow. Moses settled in Midian soon after fleeing Egypt. Mm-hmm. Others hold that he lived elsewhere for many years and then went to Midian. Mm-hmm. So he may not have been with her the whole time, okay. with Zipporah the whole time. The Torah does not report on those events because they have no bearing on the purpose of the narrative. So, too, we find that we are told nothing about the concluding years of Abraham and Isaac, for those years played no role in the development of the Jewish nation. So, and see, at 80, God must have thought he was ready. Yeah, how long finally, you ready? finally you're ready, Moses. And finally, the people were ready. Yes. And finally, the circumstances were ready. Right. And one of the Jewish traditions is that God was waiting for Job to die. Because Job was in Canaan. 
and Job was so righteous that the Jewish tradition is God was not God God preserved all of Canaan uh-huh. for the sake of Job. Okay. As part of the reward of what he had gone through. And when he died, <coughs> the rest of the Canaanites were going to be cleared and the, the Israelites were being brought in. So it all had to come together at the right time. Yeah. Which is really, that's, that's why it's so hard for us to wait. We don't see the big picture. No. We keep thinking, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Game, yeah, but maybe the game's not ready. Maybe the game hasn't started yet. Sorry. Maybe it's not this game you're ready for. So, and sometimes learning to wait is what you're really not ready yet for. <laughs> you haven't learned to wait, so he can't. Because if you don't know how to wait, he can't send you in. You won't stop when he tells you to stop. Especially as Americans, we really don't play. The we don't wait game well. well. No, we do not wait well. Oh gosh, we the worst for wait. We want it instant. So I will point out that all of the patriarchs met their wives, or their wives were chosen at wells. So he, at a well, because you know when Abraham's servant goes in, and and she comes to draw water from the well, and you know Jacob goes and he sees Rachel at the well. It, it is, it's a tradition. I was reading when I was reading about Jacob doing. It has to do with a well is a symbol of of. Uh, water under the surface and so it's a symbol of holy spirit it's a symbol of wisdom and and so the women were because women are believed to be connected to the heart of god it's it's they are traditionally connected to wells and sources of water in stories so the woman at the well the samaritan at the well all the different women at the wells that that's a theme now were they literally met at the wells Quite possibly because they were out there watering the animals, and it was a very practical thing. Right, right. But it's it is significant and tradition to to mention the well when you're talking about a righteous woman. So you tell the story around them being at the well because you're 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 saying to to anyone hearing the story this was a righteous woman. So when he gets to Midian, he sits by a well. And then the minister of Midian's seven daughters come out. And, and I love, in here it says, Moses sought a wife, so he stationed himself at a well. Yeah. Following the example of Isaac and Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true, right? Because that's where he met <laughs> So... Using a metaphor of a well... What, like if you meet, let's say you meet some uh, young man who's like, I want a wife. Like, how would how would he metaphorically be at a well? How would he be at a well? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> Must be a well. I have to think about that. Right, like if, if you if you have, were advising some young man who's like, I'm ready for a wife. I want to look search for a wife. And then you will like, say, go to the well. Meet her bro. at the well. Meet <laughs> her at the well. Yeah, that's a good question. Like, what would he? I, well, he knows what he would be looking for based on what the Bible says about right. I, I would but think. I would think that. I, I think what I would what I would tell a young man is to watch how a young woman is with her family. How she, you know, how she is with her family. Is she? Is she? 
Because when they went out to the well, they were getting the water for the family. They were taking care of the animals. They were shepherds. They were out there with the sheep. Taking care of their home. And their they're taking care of their home. They're about, they're about their business. They're minding their own business, doing their thing. They're not out looking right. for somebody. Right. You know, that they're, they're, they're just living their life the way God told them to live it. And, and one of the things that I think is so problematic in our society today is people want to be out there looking for somebody out there, which gives no context for who they are in here. Whereas when you meet somebody and you get to know them in their life, you know, and this counts for men and women. Yeah. You know, when you watch how a man behaves before you're involved with them, when you're watching them, when you know them, when, when you're friends with them, when you when you get to know who they are and see how they treat people and how they treat their family and how they treat their mother and how they treat, you know, and without that, without that, Maybe he's the one, maybe he's the one, maybe he's the one that our culture just is so hyper-focused on that kind of colors what we can see. It blinds us because we end up making excuses for people or we end up um, ignoring things or missing things because we're not really watching. We're looking for the signs that they might be the one instead of, who is this person? I know the, in my neighborhood, all folks used to advise the young women yeah. Watch the way, watch closely the way a man treats his mother. Because mm-hmm. the way he treats his mother is the way he's going to treat you. Right. You know, folks, they were like serious. They yes. Your finger like this. Like, oh, yes. Whoa. Yes. If he treats his mother bad, he'll treat you bad. Right. Yep. And if you he treats her good <laughs> because he's afraid of her, yeah. he'll be afraid of you. Right, mm-hmm. right. You know, it's not. It, you, we we have even with that. You got to be careful that you you really watch because no, that's what they say. Just watch. because he's properly Observe. respectful, because he could be like mm-hmm. he could hide behind her right or make her or you know lean yeah. on her too much to make her do all these things that is his right. responsibility or, and put that on you. Or well, he I might treat her being a man who's very respectful to his right. Mother, you did. Who would do <laughs> yeah, that's how I took it. You, you know, took it not, right. I don't know. <laughs> too many men afraid of their mother, so I didn't think about that, but I took it as being very respectful and kind and considerate right. to the mother. But there's, you know? but there's also a lot of men who are respectful to their mother's face and then out doing stuff behind her back. Oh, yeah, so a, a lot of times women, because I, I know women who say, well, he's always so nice to his mom. But then you start asking these other questions. Oh, well, yeah, he did those things. And it's like, no, how he treats her, who he is with her. Yeah. Is he hiding his real self from her? He'll hide it from you. Is he is he, you know, respectful to her face but then out being disrespectful to her in his behavior? Right. You know, and and so I think it's really or does he knowing her and idolize her. Right. Well, you and you they created her as an idol. Right. And you life. will never measure up. And you will never measure up. <laughs> Yeah, you can, I've had men like that. You can forget yeah. it. Yeah. So their mom is it, baby. Yeah, they're real yeah. nice to their mom, but yeah. too nice because you didn't turn her into God. Yeah. Right, right. And and then that'll be your mother-in-law who will make sure you know you are not her. Right. Baby, let me show you where your place is. That's right. Right. <laughs> it ain't up here with me. 
That's right. Yeah, and he's not a he's not abusing her or being negative to her, but he did turn her into a god. Right, right, and it's not gonna work out well. That's how I always told y'all choose well because I don't have to sleep with him. <laughs> I have to live with him. Yeah, and, but it's, it, but it, parents true. were involved in that choice. Still. Well, and and there's a lot there's a lot of uh, you know a lot of research into why cultures with arranged marriages have less divorce. And there are some cultures where, yeah, because you're going to get killed if you divorce. But there are other where, because the society, the culture, the people who know you are saying, you don't want him. Or you don't know. Maybe, you know, give it a few years. Maybe not yet. You know, you two are, you know, with, with my own kids when we've talked about different things. And I'm like, well, these are the qualities I see that that person has that would be really positive. But these are the qualities that are negative. Could you live with that? How do you feel about that? Because I, you know, and here's where I don't think you're ready. Here's what I see in you that I don't think you're quite ready. But work on this. You know, if you if you are wanting to be in that relationship, this is the area to focus on. Work on this. Right. Which is how parents probably were involved back then. But nowadays, a lot of parents are just like, hey, that's your decision. Do what you do. Or, parent, or, or afraid to say anything because kids don't want them involved. Right? Yeah. yeah, that's for sure. You know? Um, I have... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Go. No. Okay, because I right had ahead. two that I wanted you to read from that book. Yeah, yeah. So the first me. one is Exodus 4, 11 through 12. And that one is about... Uh, it's about Moses, you know, saying, you know, I, I'm not a good speaker and all this. Mm-hmm. And so Adonai answered him, who gives a person a mouth? Who makes a person dumb or deaf, keen-sighted or blind? Isn't it I, Adonai? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and will teach you what to say. So, so what I was wondering what he meant by the, you know, deaf and dumb and the, you know, yeah. sighted or blind or, yeah, who makes, who makes one mute or deaf, right, or seen, or bored. Well, I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm going to read the notes in here okay. Um, okay. from the beginning of Chapter 4. Because there's, like yeah, there's like a summary thing. Okay. It says, even after God's assurances, Moses insisted that the people will not believe him. God then showed him three miracles that he was to display to the people to win their confidence. However, the Midrash says that these miracles included a stern message to Moses that he had spoken improperly in contradicting God's earlier statement that the people would listen to him. It remains difficult, however, that Moses could have doubted God's assurance that Israel would believe his message. Several explanations are given, among, uh, and among them, Moses understood God's earlier statement to mean that the people should believe him, but not as a guarantee that they would. Therefore, he... Uh, contended that it was more logical uh, for them not to believe him. That's Rambam's thought. Once God told him that Pharaoh would not obey him, Moses argued quite logically that when Pharaoh was intransigent, intransigent, the people would become convinced that a true emissary of God would not be defied by the king. Uh, and that's Forno. And then Moses felt that he lacked the prerequisites of prophecy, such as wisdom, wealth, and physical perfection, since he was tongue-tied. Consequently, the people would surely doubt that God had spoken to him. He did not raise his question, this question as soon as God approached him at the burning bush, because he thought that when God revealed to him the name 
with which miracles are performed, he would be transformed miraculously into someone worthy of the prophecy. That did not happen, so Moses, in his intense humility, raised this objection. That's Or Hahaim. And then homiletically, Sfas Emes comments that Moses looked ahead to future centuries. He was sure that the Jews in Egypt would believe him, but since his mission involved the guarantee that God would be with them in later exiles... um, Moses wanted to know if God would be merciful even in times when Jews lack faith. Okay, so that's kind of the summary thing. So then verses 11, um, when he's challenging him, uh, he says, I'm not a man of words. So God's response is, God refuted Moses on two counts. Whatever communication skills he required were well within God's capacity to give. And he would provide whatever guidance and assistance Moses redeemed. Or Moses needed, I'm sorry. Right. Um, so basically what he's saying is I will give you what you need you know I I give mouths I take away speech I give speech I take away hearing I give hearing it's it's not you you don't none of it matters none of it's going to prevent me from accomplishing through you what I need to accomplish That's what I kind of figured in that. And then the other one was um, 24. It is the same chapter 4, uh-huh. but 24 and 25. And it reads, At a lodging place on the way, Adonai met Moshe and would have killed him mm-hmm. had not Zipporah taken a flint stone and cut off the foreskin of her son. She threw it at his feet, saying, What a bloody bridegroom you are for me. Mm-hmm. But then God let Moshe be, she added, a bloody bridegroom because of the circumcision. Yeah. So was Moses supposed to circumcise his son before? Well, he, yeah. Here, here, here's her comment. I know. Huh? What a bloody bridegroom. Yeah. Yeah. So, so here the notes here say Moses set out for Egypt with his family, including his newborn son, who had not yet been circumcised. Okay. And because he was uncircumcised, or because he was unconcerned about performing the circumcision in time, an angel came about to kill him. Uh-huh. Now, Rabbi Yosef taught heaven forfend that Moses did not care about the circumcision. He was faced with a dilemma. Should he perform the circumcision before he went and then take the child with him? But the infant would be in danger for the first three days after the circumcision. Should he perform it and delay the trip for those three days? So he was thinking, I don't want my son to be at risk for infection while we travel. We'll do it when we get there. Should he do it and delay? Should he do it and go and risk the infection? So so the, this, this, you know, say just saying, well, he wasn't faced with an, with an easy thing. Uh-huh. But God had commanded him to go. So mm-hmm. he decided to go to travel immediately since God knew about the baby when he commanded him to go. Right. Nevertheless, he was held culpable because when they arrived at an inn, he began making arrangements for his lodging instead of performing the circumcision without delay. Um, so, um, again, if God tells you to go, he got all provisions. Right. Covered. Well, and, and what part. he's saying is when they arrived at the inn, the uh-huh. first thing he should have done. Was the, was the thing he delayed. Mm-hmm. Not sitting down and making all of his plans for everything. So it was obedience problem. I mean, from he, the was to, right? yeah. he was about to die. It was like, this whole Exodus story wouldn't have been the way right? it would be now. 
Well, God would have raised up somebody Zipporah. else. You know, he ain't got no lack for know. somebody to raise up. Right. right. But, but Zipporah was the one who saved his life. Right. Zipporah so, knew. His wife yes. picked up on it. Yes. So even, well, and, and one of the things about them is it's believed that Jethro had abandoned pagan worship and was worshiping God. And that's why his daughters went to the well early, because they were harassed when they would go out to the well yeah. by the other people in the, the area. Yeah. So it says, even though he would have had to resume his trip to Egypt after the circumcision, thus putting the infant into new danger and justifying further delay, the end was close enough to Egypt that the short trip would not endanger the child's health. An angel grasped Moses in such a way as to make Zipporah understand that the danger had been caused by Moses' failure to circumcise the baby. So perhaps grabbed him. Why she did it quick, man. <laughs> but I mean, was but the angel may grabbed. In, 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 for him, for the angel to have grabbed Moses in such a way that Zipporah immediately knew what was hap what she needed to do. Right, right. Um, so Zipporah, uh, seeing that her husband was about to die because of his sin of omission, Zipporah circumcised the child, saving Moses' life. Wow. Although failure to perform a circumcision does not incur the death penalty, the most righteous people, such as Moses, are held to a higher standard of divine accountability. So, and then it says, and touched it to his feet. She, she touched the foreskin to Moses' feet in the hope that the merit of the circumcision, like the blood of the Pesach offering um, on Jewish doorposts on the night of the Exodus, would save Moses from the angel of death. And she addressed her baby, saying that he was the cause of the bloodshed that was about to strike her bridegroom. So that's, uh, so a bridegroom's bloodshed. A bridegroom's bloodshed was because of circumcision. Previously, she thought that Moses was about to die because he had sinned by delaying the circumcision, a sin that he had already committed. Now she realized that his threatened death was but a means of prompting her to circumcise the baby immediately, thus ensuring the importance of the commandment. Right. So when she's saying that to him... Um, so first she says, you caused my bride. So she says to the baby, you caused my bridegroom's bloodshed. Okay, so this is the, the way it's, it's rendered here. It says, so, so Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and touched it to his feet. And she said, you caused my bridegroom's bloodshed. Touched it to whose feet? The baby. Oh, no, to Moses' feet. They, they do have a touch it to oh, Moses' gross. feet. Moses, okay. But she says to the, you caused my bridegroom's bloodshed. So he released, so he released him. The angel released him. Then she said, a bridegroom's bloodshed was because of circumcision. Yeah. So she understood, oh, he was about to die so that I would do this. I mean, how important God holds physical circumcision. Since he was going to kill Moses over. Well, keeping in mind that... He was obedience of what he... Yeah, that because he was held to a higher standard, but also because God knew what was going to happen in the Exodus. And the you couldn't participate in the Pesach meal that night unless you were circumcised. And he can't go back and lead the Jewish people if he's not... How can he be a leader of them if he's not obedient to what they're supposed to be doing? Right. His own son not being... Right. Right. So, so it's... There's a reason leaders are held to a higher standard. You know, you can't... You can only lead from where you are. Yeah. 
Because other people will look at that and be like, what are we following? Right. We're not doing this. The same right. way thing we do with minister to today. We hold them high. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is we'll why. We'll do that to each other too. Like, how are you going to be on free how to do this right. situation where you're not. Which is why I think it's so important that we be very aware of what we're leading and where we're leading. You know, it's, it's. I, I think that in our in our in America today we've created this job of pastor that isn't necessarily biblical. Right. You know, we we've created this church dynamic that isn't what you see in scripture. And because pastor is the shepherd. But we've made it into the leader and and this person that everybody's supposed to follow whereas we're all supposed to be we are all the flock. We're supposed to be walking together. And so when you set yourself up, it's one of the reasons why when, when I, you know, when I, when I started the congregation and as I prayed about what God wanted me to do, I went, God, I'm not going to create some fake image of where I am and who I am and act like everybody else should be doing that too. Right. I got to be authentic. I can lead to authenticity. I can't lead to fake. Right. And and I made a lot of choices, you know, in that regard because that was so important to me to not create this image of who I am so that when I have a struggle, then I've fallen and failed everybody right. because you can't uphold that fake forever. Right. Stuff gets out. You're not, you're not, that's not who you are. And so, and, and I think it's unfair to people because then people go to church and feel like they have to put on... I got to, I got to put on, you know, I got to uphold that image, uphold that image. Yeah. And, and God doesn't want our image. (laughs) He wants our authentic selves, our struggles. And how are we supposed to hold each other and love each other and pray for each other when we're pretending that nothing's wrong? That's why when you, when you mentor a person too, Mm -hmm. you got to be very careful because, you know, I've heard uh, a person say, Oh, I fell because you fell. Yeah. So, in other words, I did something wrong because I'm not teaching you to follow Christ. It sounds like I'm teaching you to follow, follow me. me. Right. So, if I fell, and then you fell, and then you say you fell because I fell, then somewhere along the right. line... Right. Where's, where, where's God? We're in this little yeah, loop. where's Jesus? That's yeah. who we both should have right. our eyes on. Right. Trying to be like... I should not be trying to be like you. Right. Be trying to be like me. Well, because the gift, be the gift of shepherding and the calling to shepherd is you have to remember that the sheep don't belong to you. They're God's sheep. You work for the great shepherd. Right. So if I, if I as a pastor, if I as, as a shepherd am worried about getting people to follow me, where I'm out walking ahead of them saying, follow me, versus how actual shepherds did where they walked behind the flock and encouraged them to keep going towards God. It's a very different attitude. It is very different because in in my last church when the pastor fell, Mm -hmm. as they say, and everything was found out, a lot of people jumped and left the church. And I'm thinking... Did God offend you? Or did right. he offend you? Right. Who were, and who were you following? Why you, yeah, who were you following? You must have been following him, not God. Right. Because he fell. I never missed a beat. Right. Right there in that church. Why? Because they were teaching the right things. Mm-hmm. I felt they were teaching yeah. from the Bible. 
right. come against them, the church, abandon the church, help the church to, to fall because they still need my tithe, they still need right. my participation, they still need things from the congregation that they will no longer be getting if we leave. And I'm thinking, where are you doing? But they, they were, they were following the pastor. And the pastor left. I mean, he left the, the authorities that governed him, made him leave, put him under right. their authority, got him some help. Right, right, which so is good. Man, y'all, he put on his pants the way he put on your pants. You the one put him on that pedestal. Right. The problem the problem is because of what we've done with the idea and the construct of church in this country, we've created that expectation for people. And it's so terrible. And most pastors don't realize that's what they're caught up in until they fall. That's true. Some of them, their pride appreciates it, and they like having that position. Some of them theologically think they deserve it. Others, I really believe, just end up there because God told them to be a pastor, and this is all they know about being a pastor, and this is what they do, and then suddenly it's all failing them, and they don't know what to do either. A lot of times they have huge crises of faith. And, and like Moses, they're like, well, you told me to do this. Doesn't that mean I have all these qualifications? Right. And and God, I think, says to them, I give the mouths, I give the ears. I, I, I didn't call you to do that. I called you to do what I would lead you to do. So so that was that was really, you know, that was really my big focus was I, I'm not gonna lead or do anything you're not directly leading or doing. I'm not gonna create some image, I'm not going to I, I was like, I can't hold up under that pressure. I can't even do that in social settings. <laughs> I know my limitations. And so what I, the way I approached it was, okay, God, if you're telling me to do this, I, I have to believe you are calling me with my limitations. Exactly. And I'm not going to hide my limitations because that's all I got. You know, people appreciate it when you don't because they see you as a real person. I do. That's a real person. But in this world today, everybody has this definition of pastor. They're like, oh, if you're calling yourself a pastor or a a rabbi, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to look like. And if you don't do this or look like this, then here comes my judgment. Right. And and that's why I just ignore it. Because that's between them and God. Right. And and I I have lots of you know. There have been several times where things in different areas of my life have completely gone sideways and upside down and people are coming at me. And, and I've had lots of times where I've, I've just sat and cried and said, you know what, God? In fact, I, a couple of a year, two years ago, I, I think stuff was happening. And I just said, God, if I have bungled what you called me to do so badly, feel free to have someone else do it. Yeah. Feel free to give it to whoever's going to do better at it because I don't want I don't want to get in the way of what you're doing. If I've messed it up that bad, I am sorry. Take it. And he's, you haven't messed up a thing. They were going to do this no matter who it was. This is what was going to happen. That's true. And I'm like, okay, I'll keep doing it. <laughs> I'll keep going. I'll keep trudging along. And I mean, I went, went after that happened. I went 
to the pastor's house, and mm -hmm. him, his wife, and his mother-in-law, we all pray together. It's like, why am I going to be hating on him? Right. <laughs> because he said. He's in need well, now. Who am I? Right. Well, and now he's in I need. I done the same thing. Everybody expected him to be there for them, which is probably part of why he got into need. That's part of how he felt. It is. Yes. Because when you're giving, 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 yes. giving, giving to everybody outside your home, yes. you are falling apart inside your home. <laughs> and the second that they find out he's not going to be available to give, give, give to them, they're out of there. Yeah. And then they very few no want to give back. Some people would no longer call pastors called that man. He became that. I couldn't believe how mean-spirited people could actually be. But keep in mind, that's who they were all along, and that was motivating what they were demanding of him before that. that separated the wheat from the tear. Mm-hmm. Because it was, yeah. And weeded it out for sure. Because whoever needed to leave left. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. The church still stands today, though. Unfortunately... Too often, pastors think that it all has to be on them to fix and do everything. And he probably knew what was going on in a lot of those people's lives, but he couldn't say anything. And if he was trying to fix it himself, it was just going to keep getting worse because it was deeper issues than he could do. But there were, I know that even with good intentioned people at our, you know, in, in the past, being in that role, that job of pastor in the way that our society has constructed it, it's exhausting at best. And, and that was what made me question whether that was really from God, because when you're doing God's work, you shouldn't be drained at the end of it. You shouldn't be not, not without the built in opportunity to revive. You know, even even with the prophets of, of Baal, Elijah was taken away and ministered to for three days by the birds, oh, well. you know, I mean, yeah. so that he could regain his strength. And when you're in a supposed church job that is constant drain of energy, it makes me step back and question whether that's really how God intended that job to work. Right. And I don't think it is. Because pastor is not supposed to encompass all of the gifts all of the time, you alone. Right. You know, and pastor isn't even always, pastor isn't inherently teacher. No. And you know what? We we have to be an extension of his hands and his feet. Because I yes. in that same congregation, um, there was a woman who was coming to church. Long story short, she stopped. I worked with her at the hospital. I went to see why she stopped. Right. I'm playing my pastor. He's supposed to keep up with every single person. Oh, I know people church. the pastor never called me. Right. How can he keep up with every single person? So I went to him and said, Pastor, this woman feels this way. Mm -hmm. and, and Pastor went to her. You know? Right. And you know what? We found out not long after that that she had cancer. Mm -hmm. She, like, said it was diagnosed this April. Next April, that woman was dead. And at her bedside was Pastor. Right. She died. You know, and nobody... Went in the gap to try to mend that or put that back together right. because it was really a simple misunderstanding. It wasn't even, you know, right. just felt like. And um, if she never went to him, he wouldn't know there was right. a misunderstanding. How's he supposed to know? He's not a mind reader. Right. You know, they just accused, you know, pastors of not doing this and not doing that. He yeah. did not even know you in the hospital. And you right. Yeah. So.
Tanya you, told me you know what, what you though? Do. You know what, though? You texted me, and that blessed me very much. She texted me this week to ask how I was doing. And that made me feel love. Oh, I'm such a sweetie. <laughs> Tanya gets bonus points. Uh, where's my brownie? Because I know that's important. Oh, now you want a brownie too? Okay. <laughs> I can't win. I give her bonus points. It's not enough. Right. Now she got a brownie. Now she got complain. I didn't give her a brownie. <laughs> But it is, we are all the body. We are all the church. We're all the community. And and we have to take care of each other. And and it's not fair to put it all on one person or, or you know, or be mad because these people did it, but that one didn't. But then they're there in other times. And, you know, it's, it's. <laughs> and what ends up happening a lot of times, which is really sad, especially in groups where women aren't allowed to have leadership positions. Yeah. is men end up being pastors and their wives end up doing all the work wow. of, of the community loving and the taking care of everybody. And a lot of them aren't even suited for it. They just married a guy who became a pastor. Well, I know. I know a, a lot of them yeah. hide. She was like, oh, no, I didn't marry him to become a pastor's wife because he wasn't a pastor and they got married. And then she was like, bye, Felicia. Well, and I, there's, wow. I know one pastor that, you know, I mean, at, at a church my parents were at. But just because you're the wife of a pastor doesn't mean you take on certain roles but that's, automatically. But, that's but in a lot of communities, being, that's how women right, get power right, positions, right. is by being married to the men with power. Yes. A pastor that my parents had at one time, that, that was his testimony of his calling. He fell in love with his wife. She wanted to be married to a pastor. That must mean he was supposed to be a pastor, right? And he did a lot of damage I won't even go into. Oh my but gosh. but it's you know, when you when you try and it, it just there's all these weird political yeah. dynamics going on in churches mm-hmm. that that are are just weird yeah. and unnecessary and unbiblical right. and and causing damage. Yeah. And you know, uh, a woman shouldn't be trying to get power by pushing her husband into job positions that she's not allowed to have any more than a man should be forcing his wife to do things because it's the expected partner job of the, the role he has. Right, People right. should be exercising the gifts that the spirit chose to give them right. and doing what they're suited to do. But I, I will say when I'm, when I'm doing premarital counseling with couples, one of the questions that I ask them is, you know, we talk about their gifts and I asked them, what do you believe God is bringing you together to do that will be more powerful for the kingdom than you could do separately? And, and stepping back and considering that is a lot of them are like, oh, I hadn't even thought about that. But now we see this is how our gifts work together. And this is, you know, or even this is, you know, I struggle with this aspect of this gift she has. So I see that I need to figure out how... Yeah, you know how my gifts can work with that, and maybe it maybe it's not going to look like they look separately. Right, right. But what is it going to be together? Because otherwise, you're going to be fighting about what you feel compelled to do for God. Yeah, and that's not that's good. Yeah. You know, that's going to undermine you. That's true. So, which is kind of going back to Zipporah. You know, here she thought, you know, oh, this baby's going to be the death of my husband. And then she's like, no, this happened so that I would know to do this. Right. You know, and keeping that that mind. So I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording. But may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you.
May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Amen. Amen.